I also also want to say good morning this morning, and uh, it, this is a an exciting morning for me because uh, our search team is going to make a very important announcement. And so I would like to ask the search team to come and please gather behind me so you can be seen, okay? It's uh, great to have them here, and uh, I personally, on behalf of the church, want to thank them for their work, their hours of prayer and deliberation and interviewing and uh, accomplishing the task for which the church appointed and called them. Okay? I'm going to ask uh, the chairperson to come and share with us, John, uh, the recommendation of this team. All right. And it's a privilege to do this. The pastor search team has... Thank you. The pastor search team has reached a decision for a pastor. The team has voted unanimously to present Matthew Whiteford to the church to be pastor. We have heard him speak several times. We feel that the Lord has guided us throughout this. Uh, the schedule for this next two weeks later, two weeks from now, 26, 7, and 8 of June. That schedule for meeting the pastor is in the today's bulletin. Hopefully you did get a copy. We can get one to you if you need to, to uh, get him introduced to us. Saturday of that day will be at the church. Anyone from the church would... Uh, be here one o'clock for questioning and there'll be a small meal finger food type thing also he's very excited about it uh, it's been a very interesting assignment we had 30 resumes of which we evaluated each one of them very deeply in prayer there were several that could have been, I will just cross out, I'll say candidates. <clears throat> there was one other candidate that stood out quite highly, and through discussions, he did finally eventually say no. Matthew has been contacted, and he is uh, more or less waiting for us. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, John. Uh, now, I know you probably have a lot of questions. The reason we're having this Saturday afternoon meeting at 1 o'clock is so that you can come and ask him personally and meet him and ask him the questions. Now, I, I want to tell you, as you know, uh, he recently had, you may not know, he recently had... Uh, 
his wife recently brought birth to a, a new baby. And because of that, and because of all the COVID stuff, she is not going to come out on that weekend because it's too early for the child. So, but he will be here and he will uh, answer your questions. And uh, please though, you have to own your own question. What I mean by that is you can turn in a card with questions on them, but you have to sign them. First of all, the only people who really should ask a question are those who are members of this fellowship who have committed themselves to it. And so you have to really own your own questions, but we want you to ask questions. He wants you to ask questions. Um, I met with him for about two and a half hours this week and I am convinced that uh, he has all the giftings and talents and the call of God on his life to be the pastor of this church. And uh, I'm extremely excited for you to get to know him if you don't already, some of you already know him, okay? But now I want to ask this committee to own this decision, okay? Because it is their decision and so I'll just ask you all at once, do you, do you, lady and gentlemen, and Vanessa would be here, but she's ill. That's why she's not leading music and so forth. But do you, uh, friends, really believe in your heart that God has called this gentleman, Matthew, to be our pastor? Yes. yes. And you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's leading us. Yes. I trust him. And I'm excited about what's going to happen. So I, I want us just to pause a minute and say thank you to them for their hard work. Would you do that? Thank you guys. You did a great job. God bless you. As you know, we're finishing a series on the wheel illustration, and the, the, the hub of the wheel is Jesus. That's the power. That's the, where the energy comes from. And then we are connected, to our obedient life is connected to him through the word, which is a downward spoke. It's all connected to him through prayer, which is a horizontal, uh, vertical spoke. And once we have that in order, then we have uh, horizontal spokes of <clears throat> fellowship, community, and evangelism. But what makes it all go around and where, where life meets the road and where we exhibit our relationship with him is through an obedient Christian life. And so today I want to talk to you just a little bit about obedience. Now, <clears throat> there's an interesting uh, story in Nehemiah chapter 10. And I just want to tell you that story. This is not my text for today, but I, I, it's the background for it. And uh, so in Nehemiah 10, <clears throat> it's a culmination of really, it's the book is just peaking 
you know, Nehemiah was in exile. He got convicted to go back to Jerusalem and build the wall around Jerusalem and to reestablish, uh, bring back the exiles. So he went to the king and the king gave permission and he went to Jerusalem and in spite of all kinds of opposition, you can read the story, he rebuilt the wall. In the process of rebuilding the law, they became aware again of the word of God, of, of the law. And so once the walls were completed, they had kind of a dedication service. And in that service, and you can find this in chapter 9 of Nehemiah, and it says they started early in the morning and went to about lunchtime, and they were standing and they, were re and they read the word of God. Ezra the priest read the word of God to them. They're standing out there, and it's very careful to say every person was there. They read the, the word. In the midst of that reading, they became convicted of their sins and the reason of the exile, and so they began to confess their sins. And they confessed them. And then they decided to do a thing, and that was to make a covenant of obedience. A covenant of obedience. Verse um, 38 of chapter 9, I'll just read this to you. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed document are the names of our princesses, our Levites, and our priests. Now I want you to notice something. It was personal. We. It was public. This was done in front of the whole uh, of all the inhabitants. <clears throat> it was written. They wrote out this covenant of obedience it was signed, okay? And then they talk about in chapter 10, the practical reason is to pursue God's will in the following areas. So they made this covenant. It was public. They printed it. They signed it. And they committed to do it. And they were doing it in, this, in the following areas. <laughs> to protect their witness in the world. Chapter 10, verse 30. To honor his day. Chapter 10, 31. To value his word. Chapter 10, 31. To reflect his love. And to support his work. Now those are my summaries of what they did. And so they wrote out this covenant of obedience. You, you see, ladies and gentlemen, we just can't be hearers of the word. <clears throat> we just can't be people who enjoy fellowship. There comes a day when we actually have to obey what we've heard, what we've read, and what we've been taught. I had a professor in seminary who would come into the class 
And periodically he would look out at our class and he would say to us what I would say to you today. He would say, I'm not sure I need to teach anymore, to teach you men anymore, because it is my opinion that I've taught you more already than you can obey. And if I teach you more, you're responsible to do it. And that was his way of telling us it's not enough to hear, read, study, memorize, meditate on the word if you never, ever put it into practice. Now, of course, my story was taken from the Old Testament. I want us to turn to John 14 and listen to what Jesus says. John 14. I want to read verse 15 and then we'll start. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus simply says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father to give you the Holy Spirit because you're going to need his power to help you obey those commandments. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I will live with you. And then verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. It's an incredible passage. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's obedience. Now, I'm going to ask you, even though it was an Old Testament concept at the end of this message, to make a covenant of obedience with the Lord God. I'm going to ask you uh, today or tomorrow or this week to sit down and write out your covenant of obedience and to sign it. And they all will be different. 
because God's telling us all to do different things, but some of it will be the same. And so reasons to do that. If you asked me to make out a covenant of obedience, I'd say why? Well, here's why. Number one, Christ's love for us compels us. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, God deserves it because of who he is and what he has done. If we, 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, the love of Christ compels us. It drives us to obey him. What do you say to someone who has died for you? What do you say to someone who's died for you? Someone who died on the cross. When he says, follow me, what do you say? You say exactly what you have already sung. Wherever you lead, I'll go. I will follow you. Because of his love. Because you see, if you understand how much he loves you, then you're going to understand he's going to direct you into the best possible life, even if you cannot see it or understand it. He loves you. And so if he asks you to do something, it's so that you can have the best possible life on this fallen planet. So his love compels us. And our love for him compels us. His love for us and our love for him. Secondly, he demands it. God demands obedience. Exodus 24 says, I am the Lord your God and I am a jealous God. One writer writes, this is not to be seen as intolerance but exclusiveness. And it springs both from the uniqueness of God and his uniqueness is this. See, God is not the number one God and there are several, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and other gods. He is the only one. There is only one true God, and it is Him. You don't have a choice between are we going to serve number one God or number two God or number three. After you leave Him, there is no real God. And the uniqueness of His relationship. No husband who truly loved his wife could endure to share her with another man. No more will God share Israel with a rival or you. There is no other God. He's jealous. And as we read, uh, be ye holy as I am holy. He commands it. If you love me, you will obey me. If you don't obey me, you don't love me. And that seems almost too simple. Now let me give you the, the, the really, excuse me, important truth of today. God's laws are basically for our good. God's laws are basically for my good. 
There is no law in the scriptures. There are no laws in the scriptures that are arbitrary or for the benefit of God. Now think about that. 1 John 5, 3 says, This is love for God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. His, his commands aren't burdensome, if you understand them. There are three reasons for laws. There are three reasons for the commands of God. Number one, there are laws that keep me from harming myself. That keep me from... For instance, Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk. Why? Because you can do foolish things. You can get in your car and drive. Don't get drunk because it harms yourself. And a lot of laws are like that. Secondly, there are laws that keep us from harming others or being harmed by others. For instance, do not murder. Do not steal. You know, we want some rules in society that we do not hurt others and others do not hurt us. You know, there's a lot of talk about justice and racism and so forth, but we do not want a lawless society. We want laws to keep us from hurting ourselves. We want laws to keep others from hurting us and to keep us from hurting others. And then there are laws that God has handed down that keep us from wasting and squandering our lives. We have one and only life. You don't get a second chance. You don't get a second chance. How many of you remember the movie Titanic? Did anybody go see that thing? Okay. You know the story. I don't want to ruin the movie, but the, the ship sinks. Goes straight to the bottom. And people die. Not all of them, but most of them. And, and it, it, it's very poignant. It's very sad. And if you watched it, probably maybe one or two of you wiped a tear from your eye. And, uh, but, but do you remember how it ended? How did it end? Well, you go underwater and you, you see the, the, the hulk of the ship and then a light comes on, and then a reformation happens, and the ship is restored to its former beauty. Do you remember that part? And then the, the star lady, the heroine, comes down with the groom who was drowned, but they're alive, and they come down the stairs, and there's this beautiful wedding, and this everything is restored at the end of the movie. 
Now, in real life, that didn't happen. It didn't happen at all. But it's our firm belief and the belief of the filmmakers that we get a second chance. That somehow it's all going to be done. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we do get a second chance in Christ. And we are forgiven. And we are promised that everything will be restored by him in his heaven for those who've received him. But you can't re relive this life. You've got a one and only life. So he will say, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew uh, 6.33. That's a law to keep you from squandering your life. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's to keep you from wasting your life. It's so that you will invest your life, because you know your, your labor is not in vain. I want to tell you something. I've been here... Linda and I have been here about a year. One thing I can say about Sequoia Hills Baptist Church to anybody is that they have a group of people who understand be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You are that kind of person. You are that people. You work hard. The reason you obey that command is because you know your work is not in vain in the Lord. There's a reward. But seek ye first the kingdom of God because he will add all these things to you. Ladies and gentlemen, we obey the commands of God because they keep us from squandering our life. Now, I know sometimes you're working, you're here at midnight or five in the morning or, and working and working at home and you think, nobody knows. I'm wrong. He does. The one you're working for. I want to tell you something, folks. Everything you do in this church Please understand, you're doing it for Jesus. You're doing it for Jesus. And if you're not, you're doing it for the wrong reason. You're doing it because you love him. And you want others to love him. And that keeps us from wasting our lives. His laws are not burdensome. They keep us from hurting ourselves. They keep us from hurting others. And they keep us from wasting our lives. That's why we obey. By the way, parents and grandparents, the rules of your house, there are three reasons for rules. Number one, to keep a child from hurting himself. Number two, to keep a child from hurting others or being hurt by others. 
And number three, to keep a child from wasting or damaging his life. So when my grandson comes over and says, can I play in the street? No, we have a law against that. Can I go swimming without anybody out there? No, we have a law against that. You know, he's not smart enough to recognize the danger yet or aware enough. He's smart. Aware enough. So we have rules to protect him. That's what God does for us. Amen. There are some things we want that will absolutely diminish our lives, and God says no. And sometimes we're like little children. We, have, we had a child that banged his head against the floor if you didn't give him what he wanted. I've seen deacons actually do that. Not literally, but figuratively, because they didn't get... I've seen preachers. I've seen me when I was much younger. What I want to say is, when God says don't, it's to protect you. When God says do, it's to give you the best possible life you can have on a fallen planet. God's laws are basically for our goods. Number, th number four, there are natural and divine consequences to disobedience. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Hebrews 12. I just want to read a couple of verses out of there. If you want to do an interesting study, do the whole chapter. Verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son or daughter whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now listen to this verse. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. The, the principle is this. If we disobey God, if we do not obey him, there are consequences. God disciplines us. And he goes on to say that no discipline is, is, is good at the time, but it produces a harvest of righteousness. There's just some natural consequences to obedience and there's some natural consequences to disobedience. And we're not excused from them. And finally, number five, because God blesses and uses those people who are obedient to him. John 14, 21. I want to talk about that blessing. 
it says this, he who has my commands and keeps them, he is, is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. Now watch this. And I will manifest myself to him. Later he says, my Father and I will make our home with him. I tell you what, when you are obedient to what God says, you have a manifestation of his presence in, his, in your life. He manifests himself to you. You get to know him better. Therefore, you can trust him more, and therefore you will have the ability to obey him. You start obeying him in the little things, and he manifests himself to you. And then eventually the things become more and more important. He who is faithful in the small things will be faithful in the large things. It's an incredible thing. If we are obedient, Jesus will become more and more real to us. And he will ask us to do more and more or demand for us to do more and more things that we never thought we could ever do. But simply because his power and his presence are overwhelming and change our lives. You know, every once in a while you meet somebody in your life who when you're with them, they, you just know that they live in the presence of God. And uh, when Linda and I were young, um, we met a couple named Jean and Irma War. And they would invite us to their home and teach us Bible studies and disciple us. And when you went into their home, you sensed the presence of God. Because they lived a life of obedience. And, 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 and you, you loved to be with them. It's like the apostles in Acts. The people noticed that they were unlearned and ignorant men, but they took notice that they had been with Jesus. They had been obedient. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason I preach this message is we have to choose obedience. We have to listen for the voice of God or a command from the word, and then we choose to obey him. And if we do, we will have the best possible life on this planet. And he will manifest himself to us. The Holy Spirit is the power source to help us obey. However, we have to take a step of, of obedience. We have to take a step out of disobedience. So I have a simple invitation, and I don't want you to stand up or raise your hand or walk down the front. I, I don't want any of that. What I want you to do is just make a covenant between you and God.
privately, personally. What I ask you to do is to write it down, sign it, a covenant of obedience. A covenant that just says, in the power of the Holy Spirit, I choose to obey you no matter what. A covenant of obedience will ultimately lead to the best possible life on this planet in light of eternity and the very manifestation of Jesus himself. Linda, we're going to sing, come on up. And then um, this, the invitation is for you to make that covenant privately, not here. I want you to think about it, pray about it, see if God would have you do it. But we're going to sing and just uh, celebrate him. And then uh, I'll pray and we will be uh, finished. I want to thank all of you who are listening. I want to thank all of you who are viewing on Facebook, and we thank you for your joining us today. We want you to know that you can uh, continue to watch this, and please be sure in a couple of weeks to watch uh, as our new, our new uh, candidate for pastor will be preaching. God bless you. Lynn? People need the Lord, and by his power through us, he will show us how, when, where to meet those people and to share. He, he gives us the power. He does it through us. So let's sing about that today. <laughs>